0: spiritual thing works and God did this with the church with the church and he explains it in the New Testament as a body Uh, Paul in first Corinthians chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 um, Ephesians Colossians uh, Paul specifically explains the church as a body describes it as a body and uses that as our natural example. So, therefore, I can look at my body or a physical body and have understanding of how a church should operate, of what a church should look like. Remember, Paul uses terms such as family, uses terms uh, such as army for believers. But the number one thing that the church is alluded to and described as is as a body. So I should be able to look at my own physical body and understand how the different parts of my body make up one unit. This is how the church is to operate. And uh, last week we spent some time and we looked at the head. We saw that the head of a body is one of the most uh, important vital roles in a body. That all the leading comes from the head. All the direction comes from the head. Um, you can look at it this way there are five senses to our bodies there's hearing, there's smelling, there's tasting, there's touching, and there's seeing. Where do all of these senses take place? The eyes are for the seeing, the hearing is for from the, the ears, are for the hearing. The mouth is for the tasting. The nose is for the smelling. So four out of five of those take place in the head. The other one that we haven't mentioned is touch. But how do you know what you're touching without the head? Your head is the unit that deciphers what you're touching. Because I can be touching two different things, but they both feel like the same thing to me. I could be touching pudding or, you know, some kind, something else that's soft that's like it. But unless I smell it, unless I taste it, unless I see it, I don't rightfully know what I'm actually putting my hand in. Okay? So the head is the most vital organ in our bodies. And we have said that a lot of churches are operating outside of the head. And so last week we took a look and we saw that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. We laid out several verses throughout the New Testament that state that Jesus is the head of the body. And I don't have time to get into every one of those verses, but we laid that out very clearly to understand that Jesus is the head and we are the body. Now here's the problem that has happened. Because the church has been, I believe, in a bit of identity crisis. Haven't really known uh, who they are in the earth, how the church is supposed to act, what the church is supposed to look like. And I believe that that mostly is uh, because we don't know who the head is. And I can't rightfully represent the head if I don't know who the head is. If I don't know who Jesus really is, and just knowing that Jesus is the head is not enough. Because last week we laid out that Jesus is not a religious leader. We pointed this out last night. And we have uh, degraded him to that. To just being a religious leader. Just another Muhammad or just another Buddha. Just another person that started a belief system or religious organization and people followed him. And this is not the case. Jesus was not killed. Jesus was not put to death. Jesus was not... Uh, sought after by government officials just because he believed in something. That is called a crazy person. But you don't just go after crazy people and accuse them of treason and accuse them of asking to pay taxes to somebody else just because they say this is what I believe. No, he came to this earth as a government official, as a political leader. And a lot of times, you know, this is, this is a hard message to swallow, but this is the message that has been missing. And so the church has gotten off because we don't know who we're really rightfully following. We don't know who we really claim to believe in. We don't know who we really claim to follow. Jesus' disciples followed him so uh, wholeheartedly because they knew who he was. Because he came to this earth as a king. We saw in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that Jesus uh, was prophesied about, said, For unto us the child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government rests upon his shoulders. The government, not a religious belief system. That's not what Jesus came to bring back. He didn't come back and say, Uh, I'm starting this new thing called Christianity, and I want all of you to be a part of it and all of you to follow it, and I want all of you to call yourselves Christians. In fact, he never even used the word Christian. He never brought up the term Christianity. He didn't talk about uh, going to church as just a religious activity. The people in in, uh, in his time, the ones that ended up putting him to death, they were the ones that made it a religious activity. And again, again, we've been saying this throughout, that religion is simply something that you do on the outside, but it it means nothing on the inside. And so that's why we're trying to get away from religion. We're not a religious church. Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, this is not a religious church. Period. I'm not here trying to get you guys to come to church a certain number of times a week and... Uh, read your Bibles a certain number of times a week, and pray a number. All those things you should do because you have first have a heart to do it. I have a heart to know my Father, so I pray. I have a heart to be His disciple, so I go to church and learn the Word. Uh, I have a heart to uh, grow in the kingdom of God, so I get in the Word for myself and read it. You can know the maturity of someone and someone's maturity level when they no longer have to be restrained from the outside, and they're able to restrain themselves from the inside. We see this from children to teenagers. A child, um, you know, two through about five years old, they might need to be restrained on the outside not to touch a hot stove. But somewhere around, you know, seven, ten, by 15 years old, I shouldn't have to tell you from the outside, hey, don't touch that stove. Your maturity level should bring you to, that's hot, I shouldn't touch it. And nobody on the outside has to tell me that. And then we move on up, and with teenagers, there's still some things that you have to restrain them on the outside that they don't quite have down to be able to just restrain themselves on the inside. And then us as adults, there are things that we shouldn't have to do shouldn't have to be told not to do on the outside because we should be at a maturity level on the inside to take care of those things. That's the kingdom working within you. Is when I no longer have to have my pastor tell me, okay, we shouldn't be living like this anymore. Or I should no longer uh, you know, have to have another spiritual leader in the church say, look, as a believer, we don't do these kind of things. This isn't our lifestyle. I am now able to restrain myself from the inside because Jesus said that the kingdom – is in the midst of you and the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is not an outside force telling you, don't do this and don't do that and dress like this and talk like this and go to church on these days and read your Bible at this time in the morning. That's not the kingdom. That's religion. The kingdom is the heart on the inside saying, I want to be everything I can purposefully in the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to commit myself to do myself to go into church when I'm supposed to go to church and be in the Word when I'm supposed to be in the Word and have a prayer life. That's the kingdom working. okay? And so we identified that Jesus came to bring that. He came to bring a standard of living that was above uh, standing on the corner and praying real loud so everyone could see how spiritual you are. Uh, he he brought something that was above the standard of um, You know, letting people at church know, or letting people at church see how spiritual you are, but then going to work and and having a completely different alias, a completely different lifestyle. He came to bring something bigger than that. So he's not a religious figure. We have to get that out of our minds. And part of the reason why we have misrepresented the kingdom uh, in church and as believers is because we didn't, we've never seen it that way. And I'm here to be I'm here to bring a fresh thinking. I'm here to bring a new thought process to this thing. We have to redefine church is what we have to do. And over time, this is the case with anything, that uh, something may be designed for a specific reason. But over time, people can get away with that if they don't stick to the purpose. And I can tell you right now that the kingdom message is what Jesus came to bring. It's what the apostles were preaching and teaching all throughout the New Testament. And it's what God was trying to do back with Adam and Eve. But over time, we've gotten away from that message. So now we're having to bring it back and we're having to redefine. And really it sounds like something new, but it's not. It's really older than religion. It's really the original intent, the beginning of a thing. But the enemy has been fighting uh, tooth and nail. To lose the kingdom message. He's been fighting it. Uh, he, he's done everything he can. He can't wipe out Christians. There have been uh, uh, political leaders, kings, um, emperors, uh, Hitler. There have been people all throughout history trying to get rid of Christianity. Can't do it. Um, if you know anything about the Bible itself and the history of the Bible and when it was written, how it was written, you would know that there was uh, much hatred and, and uh, a lot of work done to try to get rid of the Bible itself. But do we still have Bibles? Just about every one of us in here have at least one. They have, it has not been successful. But the one thing that the devil has been slightly successful at is hiding the message. See, I don't have to get you to believe that there is no God. I would actually do a better job, if I'm against God and against Christianity, of getting you to just preach it a little bit differently. Just believe it a little bit differently. Because now you actually believe something that isn't truth, and you're sharing something that isn't truth. And now we're causing many more people. Uh, Paul, Jesus, Peter, all, all the apostles, all the disciples warned against this taking place. Warned against uh, false doctrine. And people wanting to gather to themselves teachers. Um, they had a thing called itching ears. Meaning, I want you to say what I want to hear. That's all I want whatever, to... Whatever, whatever makes me feel good... Whatever doesn't convict me, whatever doesn't condemn me, preach that. And I want to gather up teachers like that, that you know, will always say what I want to hear and things that I agree with. But we've been saying from day one that in this church we need to come with a mindset of what am I going to hear today that's going to cause me to think differently. And I've told you I'm not here to bring something new just to bring something new. I'm not here just to preach something that's different from everyone else here so I can have a different appeal or something that will draw people here because, you know, I can't compete. That's not what I'm doing here. We're bringing the rightly divided word, and I'm sorry, but if there are churches that aren't preaching the rightly divided word, it's going to be different. But all that we ask is that you get in the word, and you study it out, and don't take my word for it. This isn't the word of Mark. This is the word of the king, and that's what we're preaching and we we endeavor to rightly divide the word because that's what I want to bring. That's what you know, I'll be held accountable for it, and I want to bring you the rightly divided word of God. And so that's what we're talking about. And, and this message has been lost. We've lost who Jesus is. He's been the suffering servant. Uh, he's been the one that came and died on the cross and rose again so uh, we could have life in heaven one day. But down here on this earth, we're just supposed to wallow through and barely make it and... And live in torment and whatever the enemy has for us because he's the God of this world. Um, We've been preaching things such as God is in control and there's nothing we can do about it. And I'm here to tell you that this isn't truth. And we have not been a proper representation of the church, the body of Christ, in the earth. And our conduct has gone out the window. Our character has gone out the window. We talk like everyone else at work. We walk like everyone else at work. And this shouldn't be happening. There's something that has to take place. Jesus is coming back for a church. Period. There's no doubt about it. There's no question, is he really going to, is he going to find that church when he comes? He's going to find it. The question is, is who's going to be that church? So we saw in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 18, that Jesus was talking to Peter. And he said, uh, on this rock I will build My church. And so there have been some things that we've been pointing out. And so for review, first we saw that Jesus said, I will build it. Which means he's the one in charge of building it. He didn't delegate it to anybody else. He didn't say, you take take over building it or you take care of building it. He said, I will build it. So he's the master designer. He's the planner of this thing. Which means that we need to find out how he wants to build it. It's not up to... What I think the church should look like. It's not up to what any pastor thinks it should look like. Jesus said, I will build my church. Which means that he's got a fit for you, and he's got a fit for you, and he's got a fit for me. And we need to find out where that fit is. He's the one designing it. He's the one putting it together. When you design something, you know where your materials are going. See, when I had these walls built, and I'll probably always use this as an example because it's exactly what we're talking about. When these walls were built, I came in one night with a guy named Brian down from St. Augustine, and he came in here, clean slate, and said, uh, told me to get a pen and paper and told me to write down what he needed. And so I wrote it down. He can tell me that in his mind knowing exactly what he's going to need and knows what it's going to be used for. I don't. So I'm just writing down 32 by 4s of this and 32 by 4 by 10s of this and this type of wood and this pre-treated type of wood and then just this regular type of wood and, and he knows exactly where each individual piece is going. I don't. So when he goes to Home Depot... When we went to Home Depot and picked up all this lumber and put it in the back of my truck, he knows where that board's going to go. He knows what this kind of board's going to do. He knows what this one's going to do. He knows how long we need to cut this one and how short we need to cut this one. I have no clue. But he's the builder. He's the designer. He's the planner. So he knows exactly what is needed for what. Okay? So we saw that Jesus will build the church. Then we saw uh, we took it took a look at this word my, and we always think of that word as possessive, meaning it just belongs to me. If I say, you know, that's my truck out there, that means it belongs to me. But this word my, it's actually translated meaning a part of, not just belonging to, but attached to. So when he says he's going to build his church, that means that the church is actually attached to him. So you ask the question, well, what about if a church isn't attached to him? It's not his church. Okay? Uh, if, if, if my body becomes separated from my head, I'm no, long, I'm no longer operating as the head wants me to operate. In fact, I'm dead. I'm cut off. There's no life source. Okay? And so we saw there's a lot of bodies out there that are so far from the head They're no longer attached to the head. They're decapitated churches, decapitated bodies. And that's not what Jesus is coming back for. He said that he's coming back for a holy church, a blameless church, a church without spot or wrinkle. That means he's coming back for a church that is practicing righteousness. And so we've been looking at this, and we want to identify who is his church, what is his church, what does it look like. That's what we want to be a part of. Like I said last week, we took a little look at what at who the head of the church is, what the head of the church is, um, and, and why Jesus came to this earth and who he is and who he was in the earth, who he is today, we saw that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated far above all principality, far above all powers. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 20 through 23, we saw all this. Okay? So tonight, um, what I want to look at is the other side. We saw the head, now I want to look at the body. And so tonight's message is called The Transfer, because what we're going to find out, and remember we made statements like this, um, nobody looks at me and says, there goes Mark's head, and he has his body with him today. Nobody says that, okay? It's one unit. So the thing we have to identify is, is, if that's where Jesus is, then that's where we are. We saw Jesus as an authority figure, a political figure, the head of a kingdom. He's the head of this thing. So that means that we have a different role than maybe what we've thought the church is just supposed to do. The church is not this building. This building, we've said it before, this building can be a retail space. This building can be an office space. This building can be a doctor's office. Okay? This building can be whatever. What makes this building a church? Us. Us coming here. The church came to this location tonight. That's the church. The church um, is the body of Christ. So for us to fully understand our role in the earth, who we are in the earth, what we're supposed to be doing, we had to first find out who the head is. Because the body ain't doing nothing without the head. I, You know... I, My body is not going outside and driving home today and leaving my head here and picking it back up on Wednesday when I come back. It's not happening, okay? I know these things sound very simplistic, very childish, but this is just how simple it is. It's not a difficult uh, process. It's not a difficult statement at all. We are the body of Christ. So let's take a look at this. I want to first start with Ephesians chapter 1. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 1. And we are going to start with verse 18. Verse 18. I'll point out real quick that this is um, one of several of what we call in the New Testament of the Pauline prayers. Pauline prayers. These are basically prayers that Paul prayed for the churches. So, for the church at Ephesus, this is the book of Ephesians. This is one of the prayers that he prayed for the churches. Okay? And so look here in verse 18. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This is Paul praying. He prays that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him where? At the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So that covers us. He's saying not only in the age that Paul's in, but ongoing. For everyone that exemplifies, for everyone that resembles the church in the earth, this is going forward. That he is seated at the right hand far above all these things. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is one of the verses that we've been looking at recently. One of the verses that we've been taking a look at that identifies that Jesus is the head. We're the body. And so if we said this last week, if Jesus is the head of the body and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where's the body? At the right hand of the Father. Okay? It's, there's not a head sitting on the, uh, sitting in this seat, and the body's somewhere else. So if he is seated far above all power, we're seated far above all power. If he is seated with everything under his feet, then we're seated with everything under our feet. Okay? It's the first thing we've identified. I'm going to make a hard statement here. But this word fullness, I looked it up today. It says here uh, in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 23. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, comma, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the words the fullness of him is referring to The body. I looked up that word fullness and it means this. Completion. Abundance. Fulfilling. Completion. Abundance. Fulfilling. Jesus is not complete without the body. Now I know that sounds hard because now it's like Jesus can't do anything without us, but... How many of you could do something without your body? I'm not raising my hand because I can. I'm just throwing it up there to see if there's anybody here who, if we just took your head off real quick and just placed it up here um, and gave you a command such as uh, go get a drink of water, how many of you think you could do that without your body, without your legs walking you there, without your hand grabbing a bottle of water and putting it to the head, Because the head ultimately takes the water, but the head is missing something. The head is missing the body. And who is the body of Christ? We are. The church. We identified this last week. We are the body. In fact, this verse says it. Gave him to be head over all things to the church, comma, which is his body, comma, The fullness of him. You complete Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. And we're going to see some verses here, so hang tight with me. We're going to see some stuff here where Jesus actually passed on authority. He's passed it on. We're going to see that the body is what carries out the authority. I mean, this... This thing was so good. I was up here for about five hours earlier, just studying this thing out and looking at and, and stuff. Just kept popping. I hope I can get to all of it, um, but if not, we'll we'll get to it at some point. But it was so good. I was just getting so excited um, about all of it. But without the church, Jesus is incomplete. Jesus is not doing anything in the earth without his body. He's not doing anything without his hands. He's not doing anything without his feet. He's not doing anything without you going and exercising the authority. So let's look at this in Matthew chapter 16. This has been our key text. This is the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. This is so good. I'm telling you, man, if more churches were preaching this... If more churches got a hold of this, um, they would look like the body that we're supposed to. i, I set it up from the beginning that when you look at a lot of churches, if there were natural bodies in this earth today working like a lot of churches were, you'd have some pretty dysfunctional looking bodies. And it's a sad thing because we've got so much division in church, so much strife in church. You know, um... Paul uses the term individual. He says we are members individually. He says this over in 1 Corinthians 12. But there's a difference between being an individual and being independent. Because none of us, any part of our body is working independent of the rest of our body. And if our body were to start doing that, We'd be calling the doctor, we'd be going to the hospital, we'd be taking medicine to, what, correct it, get it back in line. And there are times where you have a part of your body that actually fights the rest of your body, so what do they have to do? Take it out. If your appendix is not working properly and, uh, you know, starts fighting against the rest of your body, causing the rest of your body uh, ailments and problems... What do they do? An appendectomy. They go in, they take it out. Um, If someone's in a really bad car accident and they, you know, jack up their leg really bad, and it ends up causing decay that could uh, spread to the rest of the leg and eventually the rest of the body, what do they do? Cut it off. Amputate it. And Jesus talked about pruning. He talked about cutting things off. And it's not an easy process. These things happen. But We don't want to be in a position where any part of the church has to be cut off. We don't want to be in a position where any part of this unit, this group, is having to cut part of it off so we can move on and not lose the whole because of one part. Okay? So that's why we're going through this. That's why we're identifying who the body is. But look here in Matthew chapter 16. Um Verse, uh, <clears throat> verse eighteen, verse eighteen again. And I also say to you, this is Jesus again discussing this with Peter. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Against it. If we are the church that we're supposed to be, then hell should not be winning any battles on us. There are attacks. But this verse says that the outcome will always be a victory for the church. It's pretty amazing. Verse 19: And I will give, everyone say give. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This statement right here is where Jesus actually delegates the authority that he has to the church. Now, this word delegate... That is not a word saying that he's passing on something and not doing it. Because if I exercise authority in any area, is my body exercising that authority outside of my head? No. My body is simply carrying out what my head wants to do. And this is what is happening with the church, or what should be happening with the church. The church should be carrying out what... The head wants done in the earth. What Jesus wants done. And what does Jesus want done? He wants his kingdom to reign in the earth. Okay? And the only way he's doing this is through us. Through the church. You know, God set a system in order from the beginning that man was the only thing that had access into the earth. Anytime God wanted something done, he went through a man. When he wanted an ark built, he went through man. When he wanted the Red Sea parted, he went through man. When he wanted the walls of Jericho to come down, he went through a man. Every time. When he wanted his kingdom to come back into the earth, he went through a man, Jesus God is not initiating anything from heaven without using mankind. See, when God, God being a king in heaven, when he puts something, when he says something, when he puts something into play or into practice, it becomes a law, which means not even he himself can go back on it. And what did he say in Genesis one twenty six? He said, let us create man in our image, in our likeness, and let Them have dominion. Let them have dominion. What's he saying? They will rule earth as I would rule it, but I'm not ruling it. I'm ruling it through them. So this is the same picture that's taking place with the church. Jesus is saying that I will rule, I will rule, my kingdom will come to pass in the earth, but I'm doing it through my body. I'm doing it through my church. Are we all following along? We're all there? So we are the ones that are actually exercising the authority. Now, let me look at something here. Let me show you something here. And we see here um, that he says, I will give you the keys. So this is Jesus passing the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, man, I, I can go so deep with the keys of the kingdom, uh, but I'm not going to do that tonight. But there's so much there in just that, just that statement alone. But look what he says here right after that. He says, and whatever you bind, where? On earth. Will be bound in heaven. Now see, how many of us, we've been thinking this whole time that if things are going to happen in the earth, it's going to be heaven doing something down here. And it's not that way. It's being bound first, where? On the earth. Then it's being bound in heaven. And then he goes on to say, and... Whatever you loose, where? On earth. Will be loosed where? In heaven. So it's first taking place in the earth. And who's doing the binding and the loosing? Is it Jesus himself? Is it the head or the body? The body is doing the binding. The body is doing the loosing. I looked up these words, uh, binding and loosing, and they actually mean this, to forbid or permit. This is good. To forbid or permit. So it is up to us to forbid something taking place in the earth. And it is us up to us to permit or allow something to take place in the earth. Well, that sounds a lot like Genesis 1.26, That sounds a lot like the dominion and the authority that God originally gave to man. Now Jesus has come back, and he says, I'm restoring the kingdom. The kingdom is now within you, and I'm now placing within you the ability to allow or not allow something to take place in the earth through you. I mean, we're thinking, you know, Jesus is coming back as as this figure of strength. Of freedom. This is the Son of God. And then he turns to Peter and says, I will build my church on you, the rock. And then he goes on and says, And I'm giving you the keys. I'm going to take a little side note because I wasn't planning on going here, but this just came up and I have to hit it. There is a difference between ownership and control. There is a difference between ownership and control. Right now, I live in a house that literally belongs to someone else. Someone else owns it. But I control what's done with the yard, I control what paint goes on the walls, I control what temperature the A.C. or the heat is set at. I control when the lights go on and when the lights go off. I control when the trash goes out. Are we seeing? Who owns the earth? We know in Psalms that uh, the word says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But who's in control? According to Matthew chapter 16 verse 19... The churches. Let me make a statement. Nothing should happen in the earth without the church's permission. Man, I love that. Because now all of a sudden we're not just sitting back waiting for God to do something. We're not just sitting back waiting, God, when are you going to do this? God, when are you when going to take this sin away? God, when are you going to take this sickness off my body? God, when are you... It's up up to us. The responsibility has just landed in our lap. Now, a lot of people don't like this because a lot of people don't like responsibility. But this is our mandate. Jesus, before he left, before he ascended, turned over. He said, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. Well, guess what? Since we are the body of Christ, if the authority has been given to Jesus, the authority has been given to you, to us. If somebody gives me authority over their car, says I'm letting you borrow my car for the week and you can drive it. Did they only give authority to my head? No. All of me, my feet have the authority to hit the gas or brake. My hands have the authority to steer left or right. It's not just the head. We have to understand where we're going with this. This is the body of Christ. This is the church. This is who you are. Nothing in this earth should take place without our permission. I'm telling you, there are things that are happening in this nation alone that are taking place simply because people in church and churches, the church, has not stood up. Prayer is not in schools right now because the church allowed it. And there's things that are happening in our government, economically, economically, Financially, uh, spiritually, relationally, uh, that's not even a word, but it with, with relationships, what people are allowing. You understand how culture works? That culture works by a, not a majority, but by who has the loudest voice. Homosexuality is taking over in this country, but only 3% of America is homosexual. How is the other 97% being overtaken by 3%? Because the right ones aren't standing up. And when you allow something to take place, it becomes the norm. I don't want my son to grow up as a teenager. And it's just every day to see a man and a man together or a woman and a woman together. I don't want that. But the more people just sit back, you see, you really find out there's only one option, and it's to get up and say something and do something about it. And I'm telling you, the time is coming that the church is going to begin to have more of a political stance. Because whether we like it or not, the church is directly related to the government. If you look at uh, all of the leaders in the Bible, they stood before political government officials. Moses went before Pharaoh. Joseph went before Pharaoh. David was a king. Paul was in front of Caesars and emperors. And, and uh, Jesus himself was before uh, uh, Pontius Pilate. He went to King Herod. I mean, Jesus, as a two-year-old, is being sought after by a king to be killed. I mean, the, the church and the politics is getting ready to join back together. We're getting ready to find our place in this earth but things should not be taking place in this earth without our permission. And the reason they have is because the church just doesn't just hasn't known. We just haven't known the authority that we have. We just haven't known our position, who we are attached to. We're not attached to a religious leader. We are attached to a political government leader. That is who the head is. Period. So we see that Jesus has delegated his authority. As a king, we are attached to a king. So guess what that makes you? Royalty. That makes us royalty. That gives us authority. That gives us dominion. Matthew chapter 16 is Jesus bringing back what God did in Genesis chapter 1. Period. Those two are the same. So Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We've got to get a hold of this. We have to understand who we are. What is taking place. I'm telling you, and and God said it, that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because they just don't know. I think all of us in our just natural lives can... Think of times that we did stuff that, man, had we just known something. Right? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. looking back. Now, there's things that I've done financially as a 20-year-old that, man, had I known what I was getting into. I won't even tell you about my first Vehicle experience, because that's highly, if I could just know some stuff. <laughs> Paying 12% on a vehicle, are you kidding me? What in the world am I doing? What am I thinking, right? And you, and you, and you find ways to get out of that mess and, and fix it, and you move on. And now I know that the next time someone asks me, so how much you want to pay per month? I don't stop right there and say, Wow, you were actually able to meet my didn't know I was gonna be paying on it for ten years. I didn't know I was gonna pay for the car five times. Wow. Some things that man, have we just known some stuff, right? I know I'm the only one that's done something like that, so <clears throat> but um Colossians chapter one. We're we're learning some stuff, amen. We are getting some stuff here because we're not going to be destroyed for a lack of ignorance. We will not. Or for a lack of knowledge. We're not going to be destroyed for ignorance. We're coming into the light. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Again, this is one of Paul's prayers. This is what Paul is praying for the church. And I find it funny that um, he is praying for the church that they will find out basically who they are. The first prayer had to do with uh, coming into the knowledge of who you are and the, the inheritance that you have, uh, the power that you have according to the power that God worked in Jesus, finding out that you're the body, he's the head, we're attached to the head. And now, this is what Paul says right here in verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And we ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Someone always, you know, there's always that one, I just want to know God's will. I just want to know what God wants. Apparently, we can. Otherwise, Paul is just praying for something that we will never be able to figure out. The knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, The forgiveness of sins. So right here, this is Paul addressing the church. And what is he doing? He's identifying what the church has come out of, but also what they're going into. How many of you know, it's not just good enough to come out of something. You have to go into something. And the Israelites in the wilderness found this out. Because they came out of Egypt, and they came out of slavery, physically. But not one person, besides Joshua and Caleb, came out of Egypt and went into the Promised Land. Not one person. There is a difference between deliverance... In freedom. There is a difference. They were delivered out. But because, and this is why we've been talking on Wednesdays about our mind renewal and about getting our minds right, because they were free physically, but their minds were still in bondage. And they walked around for 40 years in the wilderness like slaves. And eventually died there. Because if you look, the only ones that made it into the land, into the promised land, were the 20 and younger. So guess what that means? They were born in the wilderness. They had no idea what it was like to be enslaved. And yeah, we're talking over 400 years of bondage and slavery. That's a long time. Not each person physically. By this point, people aren't living that long anymore. God had already cut the lifespan. But, man, this is why we have to change mindsets that we've grown up with. How many 15 or 20-year-olds came out of Egypt, but because their daddy was enslaved and their granddaddy was enslaved and their great-granddaddy was in slavery, that they carried that with them? Just because your parents handled money, improperly does not mean you have to, but we have to change a mindset I don't look at the way that my parents handled money and I'm not talking me personally my parents were great with money and they taught me great things about money but what I'm talking about is having these mindsets that are ingrained in our minds and we can't find a way to get out of this problem or this problem and you find out Well, I'm an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic and my granddad was an alcoholic and that's just the way it was. Now, we need to renew a mind. We need to get a change of a mindset because you can be delivered out of darkness but never come into light. This is twofold. There are two things that have to take place. You delivered out and then we are transferred in. That word conveyed there... um, that is used, that Paul uses here, is literally the word uh, transferred. I think the, uh, I want to say the King James says translated, but it's the same word, meaning transferred out. Meaning that he has pulled you out of darkness, but into light. Let Let me help you understand something. This is why my renewal is so important. Because your spirit, man, the day you are born again, wants to do nothing except what God wants you to do. Your spirit man is all about God's word. Your spirit man is all about your new nature. Your spirit man is all about the will of God and serving God and uh, bringing the kingdom to this earth and in your life. The problem that we all run into is we have a mindset that still wants to do what we did before we were saved. We still have a thought process and and a mind that only wants to do sin. And so what do we do? We get in the word. If you don't occupy your mind with the word, something else will come in and take over. And one of the saddest things that happens is we get a bunch of people saved, getting them saved, getting them saved, getting them saved, not getting them in church, not getting them in the word, not teaching them to uh, get around uh, believers that can uh, sharpen them up, iron sharpen iron, and uh, help grow them up people that are concerned more about your spiritual welfare than just your physical. Because a lot of times what we do just to make our natural bodies feel good at the moment, we're destroying our futures. And we're not letting our spirit have any say so. I mean, I think we can all point to something in our lives that we did uh, one day in the moment that messed up the next day or maybe messed up our ten years from now. Or maybe we're still paying the price for it. Because the moment doesn't satisfy your future. The moment satisfies your now. And that's what your mind wants to do. That's all that your mind is concerned with. Until we renew it. And it's the most dangerous thing is to take a brand new believer and then just say, all right, there you go. And just throw him on back out. When you catch a fish, you don't just chunk it back out. You do what is necessary to make it fruitful. How many of us want to be fruitful here this evening? We want to be fruitful. We want to bear fruit. We want to have good fruit. So this is what is taking place here. We're seeing that we have been taken out of darkness and placed into, transferred into, conveyed into A kingdom. This is what we're in. find it interesting that Paul is using a term that Jesus used. Why? Because this message is preached throughout the whole New Testament. This thing is carried out. He didn't just say, we're brought into um, a kingdom. Let's use that word. No, he's specific. You look at, we just read in Ephesians... Seated at the right hand of the Father, government. All things under our feet. I mean, these are, these are government terms. These are kingdom terms. He's not just using the word kingdom and doesn't really know what he's talking about. This is what we're brought into. We're brought out of darkness into the kingdom of his Son, of his love. The word qualified that we saw up there means enabled. Or authorized. You have been authorized. You have been enabled. To carry the kingdom of God. You have been authorized. The same word that we get authority from. You have the authority. You've been enabled. We have been qualified as partakers. Of the kingdom of God. These are specific words. You weren't transferred out of. One belief system into another belief system. Again, we're not talking religion. Does it say that we can, conveyed us out of, uh, brought us out of darkness and conveyed us into the religion of Christianity? Doesn't say that. It says the kingdom. What's the point I'm trying to make? I'm trying to make that you are in a kingdom as royalty because Jesus is king and you are attached to him. Which means that we now have rulership, dominion, authority in this earth. And things should not be happening without going through us first. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. When you only see Jesus as a religious leader, then you only represent him in the earth as a religious leader. So when you only see Jesus as a religious leader then you only show Jesus as someone that tells me what not to do and what to do. He tells me how to talk. He tells me how to dress. He tells me when I should pray. He tells me that I have to go to church. That's all that you represent Jesus as. And this has been the mistake in the church. This has been the thing that has been missing in the church. Jesus is not someone that just tells us what to do and what not to do. And how we should live our lives. He's someone that has come in and changed our heart. Changed our heart. But our desires and our will and our mind, they still want to do the old way. So we have to get renewed to that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is um, carrying right over from the verse that we read earlier. I'm just going to back up a little bit and read what I had read you earlier. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When you you understand how the Bible was written, it was not written in chapter and verse. They didn't sit down and say, okay, verse 1, this is what we want. And verse 2. All right, now start a new chapter. They didn't write It's a letter. How many of you, when you write a letter or an email, you write, you write in chapter and verse? No. Okay? So, verse 23 flows right into verse 1. Which is his body, the fullness of him. We saw that as the completion of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Remember we talked last week that your behavior is determined by your nature. So when you had a sinful nature, you had a sinful behavior. But now we have a new nature. We are now new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. So we ought to be living differently. We ought to be looking differently. Okay? Let's keep going. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. And where is Christ? At the right hand of the Father. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Remember what we said earlier. Where the head is, the body is. Well, here's your confirmation. Raised us up together and made us sit. So we're sitting with Jesus. In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So that means that our authority is in heaven. Our authority is in heaven, and that is how we are to operate on the earth. Just like what God was putting in place in Genesis chapter 1. Just like what God was putting in place. I have a kingdom in heaven. I'm a king. This is my territory. This is my domain, but I am extending my kingdom to the earth. He created earth, and then he put animals on it. He put grass and trees and water and dirt and a sky, a moon, stars. And then after all that, he says, now I'm going to create mankind, and I'm going to give them authority. But man blew it. The same thing still works today. How do you lose your authority in the earth? Disobedience. The same way Adam lost it. Adam lost his his dominion by disobeying. If you can't submit to the ultimate authority, you have no authority. Okay? Nothing should be happening without our permission. But things will happen and we will have no say because we don't have a life that is... Living according to the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay, so this is who you are. You are now sitting together with Christ in heavenly places. Verse 10, uh, skip on down to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 19, skip on down again. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Again, this is kingdom terminology. Citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, I want to end with this real quick. Matthew chapter 16, we'll go back there real quick. Because Jesus continues to point something out here that is vital to our lives, to how we live. Matthew chapter 16. We've been given the keys of the kingdom. We've been given the authority. We've been given the dominion that Adam lost. We just saw this. If Jesus is the king, then we are a part of Jesus. That makes us royalty. That makes us part of the royal family. And he says in verse 19 that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's taking place on the earth by man. And then it's happening in heaven by God. This is what God was setting up in the beginning. But down in verse 24, Jesus points out something. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father there, with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Jesus makes a statement here, and he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my church, if you want to be a part of what I am building in the earth, you have to deny yourself. Now there's two words here that he's using. He uses life, and then he uses soul. If you look it up in the Strong's, it gives you the definition of what the Hebrew and Greek, the meanings of what they're actually saying. Life and soul are the same word. Remember the word soul, or our soul realm, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So he's saying if you deny your thought process, if you deny your will and what you want to do. And if you, if you are not led by emotions, then you will gain my life. So what are we saying? To have the keys of the kingdom, to walk in this authority, to walk in this dominion, you have to be dependent on him. This is the body. This is the body my entire body is dependent on each other it's dependent on my heart it's dependent on my mind it's dependent on my stomach it's dependent on, on my kidneys everything must be functioning in order and together there is no independence in me there is a difference between be, between being an individual and Independent. I looked up these two words earlier. The word individual means this. A single human being distinguished by certain characteristics. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different things that we can bring to the table. That makes you an individual. But your gifts... Your abilities, your character, is to come together and aid the body of Christ. My arm does not is not independent of the rest of my body because it wanted to play football. Well, I, I wanted to be a quarterback and you didn't want to be a quarterback. So you know what? I'm not doing anything else for you anymore. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here. And you're just, you're just going to have to use your other arm. Because unless you want to play football, uh, then I don't want to be a part of that. Doesn't happen. My legs don't, don't give up on me because I wasn't a track star. And they wanted to be a track star. And they wanted to show everybody how fast they were and how strong they were. It sounds ridiculous. But that is what is happening in some churches. Because they didn't get to do what they wanted to do. No, they have a gift. Sure, my arm is great at throwing stuff. But that's not what this unit was called to do. So my arm may not be getting a whole lot of glory for throwing a baseball or throwing a football. But it's doing And being effective for the rest of my body doing what I need to do. It's able to shake hands with new people that walk in this church. It's able to hand out food to homeless people. You see what I'm saying? Now this word, independent. This is a dangerous word. These are some definitions that uh, good old dictionary, good old Webster's Dictionary gives us. Independent, not influenced or controlled by others. When I read these, sometimes, as I, was, as I was you know, putting them down and as I was reading over them, it sounded like some people I know. <laughs> it sounded like you're reading off some character traits of people. Not influenced or controlled by others. Not subject to another's authority. Rejecting others' aid or support. Some people become so independent that they literally reject anybody else helping them. Free from commitments. Free from commitments. I can't commit to that because you know I, I'm doing my own thing over here. I don't. I don't have time to commit to that. Thinking or acting for oneself. Everything's inward. You only think about what makes me feel better, what uh, is more comfortable for me, what I want to do. Refuse to be obligated to another. You refuse to uh, accept the fact that you are tied and joined and hooked up with somebody else. And we're going to get into that next week. We're going to go through the Bible and look at um, a lot of times where the term one another is used. And we're going to find out how this body is supposed to work together. Because we've identified that we are a body. We've identified that Jesus is the head and he's the king. And we've identified today that we are the body of a king. And we are to exercise the authority of that king. But for me, for my body to exercise the authority from the head, it cannot do what it wants to do. It has to understand that it is subject to authority the ultimate authority. My body has to understand that it cannot refuse to be obligated to my head or that my arm is obligated to my other arm or my legs are obligated to the rest of my body. Okay? We've seen this picture come through. Uh, you know, it's not free from commitments. My legs may not, they may be tired right now and may not want to be up here standing and preaching, but they have committed with the head, that this is what we're doing. Are we painting a picture here? The head, Jesus Christ, he's calling the shots. But the authority is not being exercised in the, in the earth properly because the church has no clue of how they are attached to the head. And if we are going to be his church, he said, my church, that means we are a part of the head and we are carrying out what the head wants done in the earth. Do we see this? So don't miss next week. Next week is going to be great. Because we're going to find out how we are joined, knit together. Every joint supplies. Every joint. I mean, there's joints all over my body. And there's one right here that brings its supply. In fact, I've got a joint that doesn't work. And there's times when I want to grab onto something tight. And it won't. Because I broke it, it wasn't set. We'll talk about being set in the body. That if there is a break, if there is something that happens, we have to set it. And the body has to come together to do that. And it's painful. It was painful when I broke my finger. At first it wasn't. Actually, the setting of it was worse. I thought I just jammed it until I looked down and it was on top of my middle finger. But I didn't go to the doctor and get it you know, put in place like you're supposed to. I just had someone pop it back in place, and now I can't use it the way it needs to be used. So we need to find out in the body of Christ, how do we get set back together? We're going to go over all these things. I don't know how long this this series will go. There's things that I'll continue to pull, but I know God is showing us some things because he wants to raise up his church in Valdosta. I don't want to be just another church. I don't want to just go to church. I don't want to just do church or play church. I want to be the church. Amen? We want to be the church. Father, we thank you this evening that we're identifying what your church looks like. I'm so.